Coming up, Chris Wallace has chosen the debate topics that he plans to ask the candidates about. We are less than a week away from that debate. Michael Bloomberg is spending millions of dollars to allow convicted felons to vote. We'll tell you about that. Yes, Michael Bloomberg, millions of dollars to allow felons in Florida, convicts, to vote. How low can the Democrats possibly sink? All right, so a top headline yesterday, President Trump refuses to commit to leaving the White House peacefully. And this was a top bombshell headline in several mainstream media news outlets. Trump refuses to commit to leaving the White House peacefully if he loses. They make it any This is a direct quote here from the headline on ABC News. President Trump declines to commit to peaceful transfer of power. And then they quote him, there won't be a transfer. Trump says there won't be a transfer. He said those words, but they egregiously misquoted him. These words are so taken out of context. It, it, it's, it's pure. It's basically a lie. It's fraud, as I'll explain in a moment. And But the, what they make this sound, Trump refuses to commit to transfer... They make it sound as though like, all right, we're at that time now. The president is supposed to commit that he's leaving the White House peacefully if he loses and Trump refuses. Like, it's not like he's under oath. Well, do you uh, agree to make a commitment to leave the White House peacefully if you lose? No, I don't. I refuse to. I am not. It doesn't work that way. It's the same thing he's done dozens of times. They asked him. The media asked him. The media said to him, if you lose the election, will you leave the White House peacefully? And he said, quote, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that. And and the, and the media, as I said, they're literally t- t- totally reporting this uh, in a fraudulent way. But he, he, he said that he said that so many times. And every time he said, oh, Trump, he's going to stay in the White House. He's going to refuse to leave. They're going to have to bring in the military. I mean, he literally, they said to him, are you going to leave peacefully? And he knows that there's mail-in ballots, all sorts of potential fraud that can happen. There's election interference, possibly from foreign governments to help Biden, not to help Trump, to help Biden, possibly. He says, well, we're going to wait and see. Well, Trump, he's saying that he's going to hijack the White House. And then this ABC story, here's a quote. For months, Trump has sought to undermine confidence in mail-in voting as the country grapples with how to safely cast ballots during the pandemic. So once again, they act as though like Trump is like conspiring. It's like Trump is trying to sabotage the election. Listen to the words. For months, Trump has sought to undermine confidence in mail-in vote. What it should say is, it should say for months, Democrats have tried to pretend that mail-in voting has been proven to be a, a, a good way to vote, a, a, something you should have confidence in, proven to be a, 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 an effective way to actually vote and not be riddled with fraud. And the Democrats have not brought one single study or one single shred of evidence because they're the ones who want to overhaul the system. The burden of proof is on them. Trump has sought to undermine confidence in mail-in voting for months. But here's the real, as I said, the worst part of this is they misquote him in that headline. The headline says, quote, there won't be a transfer. Trump said the words, there won't be a transfer. But that's not what he said. He said, if you get rid of mail-in ballots, there won't be a transfer. There will be a continuation. So those words, there won't be a transfer, what he's saying is the mail-in ballots are going to create all sorts of messes and fraud. He said, if you get rid of mail-in ballots, then there won't be a transfer. He meant he's going to win. He said, if you get rid of mail-in ballots, there won't be a transfer because there's going to be a continuation because he meant he's going to win. And they're actually, they're, they're, they're quoting that, misquoting that as Trump says, there will be no transfer of power. 
It's unbelievable. All right, many of you have been asking. You want audio clips back. You're telling me you want a consistent show five days a week. I know several several people have uh, claimed that they are suffering withdrawal symptoms from the addiction. I am, and I'm not trying to, you know, say I just it's it's fun to hear. So you know, I have to share it with you. But uh, I'm addicted to the show too. I'm addicted to doing this. I I go through the same withdrawal on days that I'm not able to do this. Uh, audio clips. I know many of you have asked for audio clips, so I was told that there is another hotline out there. We are not affiliated with it at all. I don't make any money for this, but I'm sharing it as a public service announcement, and I take no responsibility. I don't know exactly what's on there. I've only checked it out once or twice, but there is another hotline out there that does have updated audio clips. That number is 605-562-1616, If you do check it out and you have any thoughts about it, please feel free to leave me a voicemail, send me feedback. Mitt Romney says we have news on the Supreme Court as we await President uh, President Trump's appointee. Uh, Mitt Romney says that he that's going to come, by the way, this coming weekend. Mitt Romney says he will vote for President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. And the way I look at this, my cynical take on this, because Romney, he's no fan of President Trump. He voted to convict Trump on the impeachment. He's the only Republican to do that. Um, so Romney likes to play spoiler. That's how I'm interpreting this. And he likes having the spotlight. So if it benefits him, if he gets to be the only senator Republican to vote to, to, to ouster Trump from office, to literally throw Trump out of the White House, then Mitt Romney pl- plays that role. But here, Mitt Romney, he knows he's going to be irrelevant because there's going to be a 50-50 tie and they're just going to have Pence break the tie. So Mitt Romney, he actually benefits more by being the swing vote and then being the hero. That's how I look at this, is that if he became the person who voted against Trump, he, you know, it's him, Collins, Murkowski. Nobody would really notice because they anyway are passing it with Mike Pence. But this way, he gets to be the man who n- vote number 51, the man who put it over the top. Now, Lisa Murkowski says she may vote in favor of Trump's nominee as well. So then it would be number 52. You know, Murkowski, she she did. I guess she didn't technically say she said that uh, they should not be appointing a Supreme Court justice now. They should wait until after the election. So that was interpreted, and by myself included, for her to be as her saying, "Listen, I'm not going to vote for this nominee." But it does seem now, I believe, that she's saying she probably will vote for the nominee. So she just meant, "Well, I don't think Trump should appoint her." But once she, once she, this nominee is appointed, we know it's going to be a female. Then I'll vote for her as well. Now I will tell you some details about Amy Coney Barrett because. In all likelihood, it's going to be Amy Coney Barrett. There is no guarantee, but I'm just going to go with that assumption and uh, give you a little bit of her bio. So how will appointing a Supreme Court justice impact the election? That's the real question is politically speaking, let's assume that this nominee goes through. I mean, the Democrats are going to do everything they can to pull another Kavanaugh to try to sabotage this. And that's going to be hard with this Judge Barrett, as we'll explain, because you know, she has a stellar record. But uh, here are a few angles on how this is going to impact the election. You could make the case that if the seat is vacant, it could add some urgency, right? You can make the case that if there's a vacant Supreme Court seat, that could benefit President Trump because people will be, a lot of Republicans out there, even maybe if they dislike Trump personally, they'll be desperate to make sure that uh, a, a Republican stays in office because they want the Supreme Court to be conservative and to become more conservative. And now that you have this vacancy, that could add to the desperation and to the uh, voter enthusiasm, let's call it. Except the problem is that works in both directions because, but Joe Biden, now you say, well, anyway, didn't they know Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg? She wasn't, and she wasn't very young. So even if 
there hadn't been this vacancy now, wouldn't they know sometime in the next four years a vacancy will come up? Yeah, but it's not the same. When it's staring you in the face, when the vacancy is right there and the new president or the same president is going to be the one appointing a nominee, you know, that's just like right there in front of you. So it's hard to ignore. People don't kind of look into the future so much. They see what's right there. That's just human nature. But it works both ways because there'll be enthusiasm on Biden's end as well. The Democrats are very, very angry about the prospect of having a very conservative Supreme Court. So you'd have to believe, you know, Trump already has a big turnout, you'd expect, because he has a major uh, lead in terms of voter enthusiasm. Joe Biden does not. So I would think it actually benefits Biden if there is a vacancy. Um, But there's another angle on this. I think that Trump is trying to rev up the base. I think a lot of a lot of conservatives out there even if they dislike Trump personally, but if they see a win here, we're just weeks away from the election, and Trump and McConnell, the tag team, as they've done so many times, they ram it through and they get a conservative and they basically reshape the entire face of the Supreme Court for decades to come. That could get a lot of Republican voters very excited. Also, Democrats, they're going to look really bad. I I mean, they're like animals. You know, Democrats, they're like these vicious attack dogs here attacking these respectable judges like they did to Kavanaugh so they don't even realize how sinister and how evil and heinous they're they're about to look here over the next few weeks. So let me tell you a little about Amy Coney Barrett. She should be an untouchable, like I said, the Democrats are going to do everything they can to destroy her, But and they did that to Kavanaugh. But, um, you know, she has a stellar record. Look, even, look, she's a conservative. Obviously, Democrats dislike the fact that she's a conservative, but that, that does not disqualify you from being a Supreme Court justice. So the question is going to be, can the Democrats find dirt on this Amy Coney Barrett? The, the only chance they have, it seems, they have the votes now. So the only chance the Democrats have to try to sabotage this, if they found something that's so bad about her past, something so ugly in her past, and I wouldn't, you know, the Democrats, who knows, they'll find some, they'll dig up somebody who, like, saw her in, like, third grade, cheat on a test or something like that, or throw a spitball or use her mask as a slingshot, not that they had masks back then, right? So they, they, they'll find something where they're going to be some Republicans, some, somehow Romney and Murkowski and Collins and a fourth Republican are all going to say, well, gee, wait a second. Uh, I can't vote in favor. We need a we need a hearing. We need testimony. This is going to take too many weeks. That that's the Democrats. They might have some kind of surprise up their sleeve, which is exactly what they did to Kavanaugh. So that wouldn't shock me at all. Now, this Judge Barrett, she's a deeply religious person. Of course, the Democrats view that as a negative. She is a family person. And even many leftists who know her have showered her with praise over the years. I'm sure you're not going to hear it now, but she has a longtime colleague at, at Notre Dame Law School, which is where she got her law degree. Carter Sneed is his name. And he said that she's the smartest person in the room and also the most humble And there are reports that she has a rare combination of being highly intelligent and being humble. And that's, uh, again, left, whether you're on the left or the right, it seems that they have showered her with praise about these things for many, many years. In fact, Noah Feldman, you remember Noah Feldman? He's a Harvard professor, and he's the liberal professor who testified in favor of impeaching President Trump. He testified in Congress, and yet in 2018, he called her a truly brilliant lawyer. So he is super liberal. He and Coney Barrett were members of the same class of Supreme Court clerks back in 1998. And he said of the 40 clerks in the Supreme Court in 98, she was one of the two best lawyers and possibly one of, and possibly the best. And he said she was prepared to go on the court 20 years ago. And by the way, when President Trump nominated Coney Barrett to the Seventh Circuit Court, 
every one of the 40 fellow clerks of the Supreme Court that she worked with, they again, whether they're super conservative or super liberal, they, they showered her with praise. So she has been praised by people on both sides. She's a mother of seven, including one child with intellectual disabilities and two children adopted from Haiti. She adopted two children from Haiti. Here's a quote from an op-ed in the Washington, but the Democrats will figure out a way. Here's a quote from the Washington Examiner op-ed, quote, yes, Democrats and their media allies will attack and demonize her viciously, but that's no reason to nominate other candidates who have no record on pro-life issues. As one conservative activist said, the left is going to burn everything down no matter whom we pick, so we might as well get the right person on the court because she's very pro-life and we know that's something the Democrats cannot stand. So they're going to vilify her and demonize her. And the point of this Washington Examiner op-ed is, listen, they're going to do that to anybody. I mean, Trump could literally uh, appoint a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout and it still wouldn't help. So just do it. Just just, just appoint whoever you think is the most qualified. Um, meanwhile, the liberals, they're threatening to do all sorts of very extreme things. So just here's a quote here. They're foaming at the mouth. A quote from the New York Post. We're going to get to the other news of the day in a moment. High-profile liberals have issued dire threats on Twitter. There's one Hollywood actor who said, quote, you dare try and replace her right now, there will be a war, talking about um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, One parenting guide author who's a liberal said, burn it all down. Scott Ross, a member of the Wisconsin Ethics Commission, said if you cannot shut it down, burn it down. Again, they're, they're talking about Congress. Here, I'll, I'll prove it. Emmett McFarlane, an associate professor at Canada's University of Waterloo, he, he weighed in on this, quote, burn Congress down before letting Trump try to appoint anybody to the Supreme Court. And the Washington Post freelancer, Laura Bassett, she said that there's going to be bigger riots than before if McConnell jams somebody through. And Ocasio-Cortez, she's basically waging war. She, in a social media video, she said the climate is at stake. And she said, quote, let this moment radicalize you. I need you to be ready. We can and must fight. I mean, they sound like a bunch of vicious, crazy people. And the Democrats are threatening to pack the Supreme Court. They, they want to add judges to the Supreme Court. So there's the strategy. If you cannot get the majority, they just change the rules and change the number of judges so that they can appoint a bunch of liberal judges. They'll have like 13 justices and they'll appoint a bunch of liberals. Of course, they, they would need a Democrat president to do that. All right, so James Comey's testimony coming up next week, as we said. That tells you that he's probably not a target of the John Durham probe. And by the way, and by the way, President Trump expressed his frustration at the fact that the DOJ has just totally stalled and just totally refused to indict any important Democrats, even the ones who literally committed treason against him. But we'll get to that in a, a little bit later. But um, if Comey's testifying, that means that the Senate, Lindsey Graham, they, they cleared it with John Durham. You'd have to believe if he was a target of the investigation, if he was someone who's going to be indicted, I don't think that they would have allowed him to testify in the Senate. The Republicans controlled the Senate, so they would have deferred to A.G. Barr and the DOJ. But here's what's interesting. James Comey loves to always be in the middle of things, right? I mean, think about it. The man has been fired for, what, three, almost four years from the FBI, and he still manages to be, like, in the center of the spotlight all the time. It's pretty astonishing. And think about the timing here. Remember, a lot of people believe that James Comey sabotaged Hillary Clinton because he reopened the investigation into the Hillary email servers. It had to do with Anthony Weiner and a computer, and he reopened it, like, 10 days before the election in 2016, Hillary believes, I don't think so, I think she would have lost anyway, but Hillary believes that that actually caused her to lose, and she's furious at Comey to this day. So Comey, he loves to be impacting, he he just, he only cares about, it's similar to Mitt Romney, he just wants to be 
the story. And it's amazing the timing, how whatever reason it is this way, that he's literally testifying, what, five or six weeks before Election Day here in the Senate. I mean, you know, the whole country is going to be watching that testimony. Uh, and, and what is James Comey going to say? I believe he's going to have another bombshell. I believe he wants to once again have a major impact on the election. Who would have thought almost four years out of the FBI? I mean, the man has no position in public life and he's still able to, to, to really seriously impact the election. Which direction is he going to go? Is he going to trash Trump or is he going to trash Joe Biden? I don't know. He's going to figure out. To me, it's like this, right? He's going to say, all right, I want to take the one who's most likely to lose and I want to make them win because that way I had the biggest impact. This is I, Look, this is total conjecture, obviously. I didn't discuss this with Comey. But this is my psychoanalysis, and you know I think it's not far off based on everything we've seen the man do. So now, the, I mean, he's the one who got the special counsel appointed. He admitted that. He, he, he opened, that was no coincidence. He knew what he was doing. He reopened it, and he leaked the letter to the press that he was reopening the Hillary investigation 10 days before. Come on, this man, he's some sort of sociopath. He enjoys uh, having this kind of impact on the country, and he arguably has had more influence on these matters than way more than any other single person should or did or whatever. So wh who's he going to sabotage? Maybe Biden. Maybe he's going to talk about the Logan Act. Maybe he's going to talk about the unmasking. I don't know. Maybe this is probably wishful thinking, and maybe the opposite. Maybe he's really going to try to hurt Trump. Uh, a caller, a young man, reminded me that the summer is over. We were told that John Durham, he'd have something, a report, an indictment, something. He, we, we, we'd, we'd hear him sneeze, you know, uh, sometime before the end of the summer, and the summer is now over, and yet no Durham report. We have that one indictment, that predictable indictment. So where's John Durham? Is, is it going to be an October surprise? I hope so, but I'm really uh, starting to lose hope. The first in the UAE, the first kosher restaurant has officially opened in the UAE. It's on the ground floor of the world's tallest building in Dubai. This is so exciting. The luxury Amani Hotel. And I, I, the reason I find this exciting is because, you know, it seems to me like it's very positive news. Again, I'm not into embracing enemies. I'm not here, you know, as you know, I'm not deluding myself and all suddenly we're best friends. You know, but it, to me, there's, there's only positive here. This only moves things in the right direction, in my opinion. Obviously, we, all, we always have to wait and see and you can never predict. The restaurant can seat 40 diners. It can have 40 people sitting uh, in the restaurant. Again, it's on the ground floor of the luxury Armani Hotel uh, in the world's tallest building, in Dubai, exciting news. Alan Dershowitz, he says that Democrats, mainstream Democrats, do not have the guts to stand up to anti-Semites within their own party. These Democrats, they have literally thrown the Jews under the bus. And Dershowitz, one of the few people, few liberals, who's willing to admit it. He was on 77 WABC radio. And he said, quote, there are elements within the Democrat Party who support boycotting Israel, support silencing students on college campuses. He said... They have no courage to reject anti-Semites in the party. He's talking about mainstream Democrats saying that there are these, these I wouldn't even call them fringe Democrats. There are elements in the Democrat party, maybe you call them more extreme, but it's a growing segment. And he says that the mainstream Democrats who don't agree with the anti-Semitism still don't have the courage to actually stand up to it. And he's 100% right. He said, quote, courage, are you kidding? Does anybody today have courage in politics? The answer is no. The moderate Democrats don't have courage. They don't have the guts 
to stand up. The Republicans have had more courage standing up to anti-Semites in their party. They've gotten rid of them. They marginalized them. I wish the Democrats would learn from the Republicans on that issue. And again, I know it doesn't sound like it. I know we've heard Dershowitz uh, defend Trump and uh, be supportive of Republicans. Trust me, the man is extremely liberal. He's written books. He believes in so many liberal policies. I mean, whether it's Obamacare or raising taxes on the rich, or, you know, heavy government spending, so many areas, except for Israel. Israel is the one area where I think Dershowitz sees eye to eye with the Republicans. And that's that same issue that he's discussing here. But he's extremely liberal. He doesn't enjoy praising the Republicans and bashing the Democrats. Maybe he does now a little bit because he's become their enemy. But, I mean, this is a Harvard law professor. He's basically been banished. He's over there in Martha's Vineyard with all vineyard with all the liberals he's been hanging out with for literally 50 years, and now he's been banished. I mean, he's, the, he's just totally, totally uh, not wanted by any of them, and it's really affected his life big time, the fact that he has been defended, d- defended Trump all these years. Um, Okay, it is official. I have to report about this story. The murder of Breonna Taylor, which took place several months ago, uh, there have been no indictments for the killing of Breonna Taylor. Uh, the, the, the grand jury has indicted one of the three officers, but not directly connected with the murder. One of the three officers, and I shouldn't call it a murder, it's a killing. I believe the media is referring to it as a murder. I have to double check that. But obviously, if no charges have been filed, it's unspeakable. It's a, it's a horrific, unspeakable, unthinkable tragedy, and not to diminish it. But if nobody's being charged with murder, that means the grand jury determined that you know it was a killing, a shooting that never should have taken place. But nobody is responsible, culpable in terms of being a murderer. We'll tell you about the details in a moment. We told you about this before, but the grand jury has indicted one of the officers with wanton endangerment because he fired shots. Some of the shots went into the next apartment, so they're calling it wanton endangerment. By the way, each of those charges is punishable by up to five years in prison. So theoretically, this officer could end up going to jail. We'll have to wait and see. There have been riots already in Louisville, Kentucky. Last night, there were riots, and two police officers were shot in those riots. I'm sure the media will call them mostly peaceful protests, but there have been riots, and the riots very likely will continue in Kentucky, but no charges for the actual killing of this Miss Taylor, Brianna Taylor. So the story took place in Kentucky a few months ago. The police went into her apartment with a no-knock warrant, a no-knock warrant, and yet the police say that they did knock, in fact, on the door, and they did announce that they, they, they busted in, but they did announce that they were the police, and they knocked on the door. Of course, she was an innocent lady, and she was tragically killed, and that's horrific. And her friend was in the apartment, and her friend actually admits that he fired the first shot. So that's a big part of this. The dispute is whether or not the police announced themselves. They say they did, and and a, a, a bystander, a witness who was there, also said that the police did, in fact, knock on the door and announce themselves, despite the fact that it was a no-knock warrant. But, of course, that's not going to stop the rioters in Kentucky. And so the man fired first, the man who was in the apartment with Breonna Taylor, the police fired back. And, um, of course, tragically, they killed her and uh, the shots were actually fired into the apartment, I guess, next door. Now, the attorney general of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, a Republican, he says there's no conclusive evidence that any of the 10 shots that were fired, the officer who was uh, indicted, is, his name is Hankinson. And uh, there, his his name is Brett Hankinson, and it seems that none of the shots that he fired actually hit Taylor. Well, there's no conclusive evidence that they actually hit Breonna Taylor. This happened on March 13th, by the way, but some of his bullets, so the other police officers are the ones that hit Breonna Taylor. Some of the other bullets did travel into an adjacent apartment, and there were people there. Um, and that's why he faces these charges of wanton endangerment of those people. 
So uh, the, the two other officers, one is named Cosgrove, one is named Mattingly, and they were justified, at least um, the, according to the AG, they were justified in the use of deadly force under Kentucky law because the friend of Breonna Taylor is the one who fired first, and he admits it. As I said, the friend admits that he fired first, but he says that he thought they were intruders and they never announced themselves. President Trump, as I mentioned earlier, he spoke at a rally and he told supporters that he is frustrated with the fact that Republicans never prosecute Democrats. The president, he discussed Hunter Biden cashing in on his father's influence with foreign companies like Burisma. And his father then boasted about the fact that he forced the firing of a Ukrainian prosecutor who was uh, investigating Burisma. And what did Trump say? Trump said, quote, does anything happen? Nothing happens. I'm so angry at Republicans. I'm so angry. And he was taught, he was in Dayton, Ohio, speaking to a group of workers. And he said, what about the fact that Obama and Biden spied on his campaign? He said, quote, it's treason, James Comey and all the sleazebags. They spied on my campaign and we caught them. Let's now see what happens. End quote. All right. So Chris Wallace has chosen topics for next week's debate. Here are the topics that he has chosen. That he has announced the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19. That was predictable. The economy race and violence in our cities, and the integrity of the election. So those certainly are very compelling topics. I will tell you some of the things Wallace has to ask. All right, let me tell you some of the topics that he is not bringing up, it seems. Foreign policy, climate change, immigration, healthcare, education. Those are very big topics, but as Breitbart points out, they're not on his list. Now, they might come up incidentally, but at least he's not going to directly ask. Now, foreign policy. I would love him to discuss foreign policy because Trump has had so many major accomplishments. I mean, how can you not bring up Israel and the UAE? But uh, and Iran, how can I bring up Iran? But either way, look, those will be brought up in later debates, I'm sure. Now, here's what uh, Chris Wallace has got to ask. You've got to ask Joe Biden about Burisma. If Chris Wallace doesn't want to be viewed as a total sellout, as a total wimp, he's got to ask. He's been begging for this. He's been begging the Biden campaign to have a chance to interview Biden. The Biden campaign has refused. No surprise there. Chris Wallace wouldn't let him use a teleprompter, I'm sure. So this is your chance. So you need to ask about Burisma. You need to ask about the Ukrainian prosecutor. You need to ask about Michael Flynn and the fact that Biden requested the unmasking of Michael Flynn. M Biden mentioned the Logan Act when he's sitting there in that meeting with James Comey. And he mentions the Logan Act, which is what he what they went after Michael Flynn for, which is it's absurd. It's ridiculous. You've got to ask those questions and put Biden on the hot seat, and you've got to ask Biden about the movement to defund the police and about Black Lives Matter, because you've got you've got to put Biden in a position where he has to tell us how does he feel about the radical leftist Marxist anarchists who have hijacked the Democrat Party. You've got to force him to answer those tough questions. Look, I've have I've been disappointed before with these uh, reporters, obviously, so I'll have to wait and see. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is paying off the fines and the legal fees of convicted felons in Florida. You can't make this stuff up. This is how the Democrats have stooped so low that they are literally paying off the money that is owed by convicted felons in Florida because we've told you about that law that in order they're allowed to vote, but in order for them to be able to vote, they have to pay off all their outstanding legal fees and whatever fines they have. So these convicted felons, it can sometimes it could be more than $1,000. They don't want to pay that amount of money to be able to vote. So Michael Bloomberg... He's going to foot the bill. He's going to pay the money. He has raised, it's his own or he's raising it, whatever. He's raised over $16 million. This, the Democrat Party is the party that wants to eliminate police and they want to help convicted felons vote. I mean, this is just, it's madness. So he has raised more than $16 million in an effort to help convicted felons in Florida register to vote. 
they estimate that he has already paid off the financial obligations of 32,000 felons. That's according to Axios, and, and I'm sure more to come. 32,000 felons will be able to vote thanks to Michael Bloomberg. I mean, the Democrats, do they even realize how insane this this all is? That they, Do they ever look in the mirror and wonder how, how, how nutty they appear, spending millions of dollars to enable ex-convicts to vote? All right, President Trump is expected today to sign an executive order which will protect the coverage of pre-existing conditions. Wait a second, Trump, he's anti-pre-existing conditions because he's anti-Obamacare. And one of the many, many, many things, Obamacare was like 1,200 pages, 1,300 pages long. One of the many things it has is is the coverage of pre-existing conditions. So if you oppose Obamacare, then you have to oppose everything in it, including pre-existing conditions. Come on. Trump has been promising from day one that he wants to protect coverage for pre-existing conditions. So he's going to be uh, announcing a health care plan uh, that that he hopes will replace Obamacare. Unlikely they'll ever really get to repeal Obamacare, but Obamacare might get struck down in the courts, especially now might get struck down in the Supreme Court. Uh, so President Trump is actually going to release a plan that will cover pre- pre-existing conditions, which is what people are very concerned about. Now, I happen to not agree with President Trump on this. I want to be clear. I, I think that pre-existing conditions, I don't think it should cost the same. If somebody, let's say, has a pre-existing condition, and they sign up for insurance after the fact, they have to pay a little bit more because the whole the whole point of insurance, we've discussed this before, the whole point of insurance is that people buy into it before because if the catastrophe happens or the, uh, the life event happens that they want to get covered for, the idea is they paid money, everybody pulls the money together, and that way there's money there for the insurance company to cover. But if a person could just buy in after the fact, right? Think about it. It makes no sense. Let's say people don't have to get in buy insurance if their car gets stolen after their car is stolen. Well, that's a pre-existing condition. My car already was stolen. So I'm just going to buy insurance now and then you have to pay me for my car. <laughs> Obviously, that's ridiculous because the whole point is that people buy into the insurance before. Most people don't get impacted by it, but then the people who do get impacted, if everybody can just buy it after the fact. Now, obviously, right now, Obamacare does cover pre-existing conditions, and yet at the same time, the system is working for many people. Some, many, many people pay tons of money for Obamacare premiums, but they obviously, it's not as absurd, as it, ludicrous as it, as it should be on paper. But to me, the reason that so many people are paying so much money for Obamacare, part of it is because of pre-existing conditions. The idea is that people who are covered ahead of time, they should get some kind of benefit. There should be some kind of incentive to actually buy insurance before the sickness happens, right? So I'm not saying, well, you say, well, then a person's going to have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars because medical costs, if a person has to cover them for themselves without any insurance, it's astronomical. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not possible to afford that. So the answer is, Make them pay a little bit more. Make them pay 20% more. For pre-existing condition coverage, make them pay 15% more. Some amount where it's still affordable, but at the same time, there's some kind of incentive so that people actually buy insurance before the fact. That That's my opinion. Obviously, these politicians, Republican, Democrat, they, they do not agree. They feel, look, it's a matter of sickness. It's a matter of health. So we've got to figure out a way to cover pre-existing conditions, and it costs more in premiums for some people. I'm sure there's a lot of tax dollars that go into covering it and government subsidies, but they feel it's worth it. But either way, the Democrats, you know, they accuse Trump of not wanting to protect pre-existing conditions, so he's going to put out this executive order, which uh, will obviously prove the Democrats wrong, but will the media even notice? Well, they'll notice it, but will they report it? Uh, Somehow, I'm very skeptical. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.